All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie, figure out what other movies inspire it. But today on the show, we're not doing that. Today is a special episode where we are looking at the best movies of the year, in our opinion anyway. Uh, with me today are returning co-hosts Josh Bell and Jason Harris, and we will be counting down our 10 favorite movies of the year. Um, I want to remind you all to please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and a whole bunch of other podcast apps. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. So, uh, you know what? Without any further ado, we got a long episode here, so we're going to get into all these movies. So, enjoy it, and thank you for an amazing year here at Piecing It Together. So today on the show, we've got with us two of our returning co-hosts. We've got Josh Bell and Jason Harris. How you guys doing? We're doing well. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're sharing our mic here. Yeah. I'm not telling you which one I am. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, uh, luckily, we don't have to do separation within the audio or else you guys would just be like one big mishmash of a human. But yeah, I, I think it's going to work out quite it's well. It's like Brundlefly yeah. in, in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, today what we're doing is a uh, wrap-up of the year, a top 10 list for all three of us. And we're going to go around in a circle doing top 10s and get into all the movies that we like this year. So, um, you know, I'd say this is probably going to be a long conversation, so we might as well just jump right in. Um, why don't we, you know, I hadn't decided who should go first. Anybody want to go first? Should we fight for it? You can go first. If you want. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. Well, that's good, because I was going to I was going to lose that fight. Uh, <laughs> I'm a gentleman, if nothing else. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, this is Josh, by the way. Thank you, Jason. This is Josh. Uh, so my number 10 movie is Damsel from the Zellner Brothers. I think it's it's their third or fourth feature. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a movie that a lot of people saw, I think. It didn't actually play here in Las Vegas. Uh, I saw it at the Las Vegas Film Festival, and it was out on demand as well. But um, And at the... the Screening I went to at the film festival, there were maybe 10 people there, and I think a third of them walked out. So <laughs> it was a polarizing film, but I, I thought it was very, very funny. It's a Western, but it's kind of a deliberately confounding Western, starring first half is starring Robert Pattinson as a sort of cowboy traveler who appears to be uh, tracking down his fiance, played by Mia Wasikowska, and he enlists this uh, hapless preacher played by David Zellner, one of the directors, to help him out. And then about halfway through the movie, you realize that that is not, in fact, what's happening. And when Mia Wasikowska shows up, and she's fantastic in this movie and very, very funny, and the movie completely shifts gears, and then it's a kind of buddy thing between her and David Zellner. And it's very dry humor, um, which maybe doesn't work for everyone, but I found it very entertaining and clever in the way it subverts the conventions of the Western and well-acted. I liked it. It's a movie I was really looking forward to and then didn't get to see because it didn't play here. I'm um, hoping to see it sometime soon. Obviously, coming off a good time, I was like on a Robert Pattinson kick, and so I was looking forward to whatever he did next, you know? Um, did you see it, Jason? Didn't, but the no. Zellner Brothers did Goliath, right? Yeah, Goliath, yeah. which uh, was paired at Sundance with a movie starring Jason Harris. That's nice. right. I didn't even have to plug myself. <laughs> Josh plugged the Mark Tom Lawrence film. So uh, I, I respect that pick because of my storied past with the Zellner. Nice. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, why don't you go ahead and go? Uh, my number 10 is also a Western uh, Netflix film called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs nice. uh, by the Coen brothers. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it, uh, it uh, you know, it was supposed to be a miniseries. Really, it's six small, six individual stories tied together in uh, wacky Coenese fashion. Oh, yeah. I thought they... Nailed the music and the tone and the camera work and a lot of people die uh, <laughs> unforgivingly and it was just just a bunch of Cohen fun. I really liked it. So I loved it too. Yeah. Num number ten on my list. I I'll keep it tight. Yeah, I also like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> another another movie I uh, didn't get to see in the theater because it didn't play here. Oh yeah, I, I'm mad at the future. I saw it on my TV and I was fine with it. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see it in the theater and yeah, also did. enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna go bigger with my number ten. Um, mine is Ant Man and the Wasp. 
I know this is a, a weird choice, okay? Um, but I think this movie is just pure fun from beginning to end. I think it is just, just, it annoys me when Marvel people write this movie off as not being worthy of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it is just so much fun, so exciting, a lot of really great humor, and uh, I think it's great. It would have probably made my top 15. I had it on my short list, so I'm with you on that. Awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun, too. I mean, there was there were actually quite a few good superhero movies this year. There were, um, yeah. And maybe it wasn't my favorite superhero movie, but I was very entertained. And I agree, Marvel fans should not write it off. Yeah. Just because it's not blowing up universe, the entire universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's refreshing. Like the smaller stakes Marvel yeah. movies, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Josh, your next one. All right, well, my number nine is a movie that we talked about here on the Piecing It Together podcast. Right. It's Never Going Back, which uh, I feel like I've I've been trying to, like, single-handedly promote to the world uh, since I saw this movie. Um, it's just a very, very funny stoner comedy from uh, writer-director Augustine Frizzell. It's her first feature. Uh, great performances from Maya Mitchell and Camilla Marone as uh, these two teenage girl stoner friends who just want to take a vacation to the beach and everything stands in their way. It's very reminiscent of Superbad and Harold and Kumar and movies that were big successes. And this one really should have been too. It's totally mainstream and accessible, but it has a lot of heart and a lot of great character development. So I don't know why A24 bungled releasing it, but I, I hope people watch it. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I really hope people go find it too. I'm excited to watch it. Um, you know, uh, as Josh knows, I like these kind of, you know, buddy comedies. And a, uh, a lot of, there have been a lot of good ones about like millennial women lately, I yeah. think, like uh, Appropriate Behavior, which isn't a buddy comedy, but, uh, and then uh, Four Tilden, which is one of my all time favorites. So uh, I'm excited uh, to watch that on Amazon Prime. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, my number nine is, and, it's a good film, but I think it's because it was the only one of its type that I that really stood out to me this year is Widows. Um, Steve McQueen's kind of like slow burn heist thriller with twists and turns all about about the widows of murdered uh, robbers who have to perform a heist on their own. I thought, again, uh, he just really set a nice pace. The twists worked for me, and obviously the performances are great, you know, so... I uh, got that at number nine this year. Yeah, I liked it as well. I think I think Dave didn't. I did not like Widows. Yeah, I'm one of the few that did not uh, like it. I, I, I It just didn't work for me in a lot of ways, but I know you're certainly not alone. A lot of people absolutely loved it. Do you, I mean, so do you have a movie this year that was like kind of a slow burn heist movie? <laughs> Uh, a heist movie? Any any yeah. type of heist or, I mean, you know, I, I suspense. I liked American Animals was a heist movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. there you go. That's yeah. a, that, that would count. So. <laughs> You're off the hook there now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, my number nine is a movie that we uh, recorded an episode on, me and Josh, and it hasn't come out yet, and I know he hated it, but I loved it. Uh, and it is called Vox Lux. And uh, this is a movie that I saw a little over two weeks ago, and a day has not gone by that I haven't thought about it. Um, I know it's a very polarizing film uh, about a, uh, a pop singer and how her life is uh, marred by tragedy from the beginning through her career. And um, it, it's, it's a weird movie, and it's very dark, and it's not at all what the trailer suggested. Um, and so I'm assuming that's why a lot of people didn't really connect with it. But for me, it's just something that... I love a movie that really just sticks with me, and this is probably the one that stuck with me the most this year so far. Yeah, I don't want to crap on your choice, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you are correct. I was not a fan of this film. <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you, now we're going to need you as a uh, icebreaker. Yeah, actually. there you go. Yeah. Um, so my number eight pick, uh, appropriately for the number eight, is a movie I think that we all enjoyed a lot, which is Eighth Grade, Bo Burnham's nice. uh, coming-of-age story starring Elsie Fisher as an extremely awkward uh, young teenage girl navigating the transition from middle school to high school. Uh, great, great performance from her and just really honest and real and, and uncomfortable to watch at a lot of times, but but in a good way that, that makes you really empathize with her and feel what it's like to be that kind of 
teenager figuring out your life and yeah. not th feeling like everything that you do is wrong. So I think the pool party scene is one of the best things this year. One of the best scenes in the movies this year. I think you. I mean, and I know at the end we're supposed to do our three scenes, but like you could argue a few of those scenes. The yeah. banana scene, yeah. you know, like um, there's just a lot of good stuff. That that's that's a great movie. And um, I do, I've do. i never been a fan of Bo Burnham as a comedian, but I'm so excited to see what he does as a director going right. forward. Yeah. Um, this definitely goes in there as like one of the all-time great coming-of-age uh, movies of people of middle school, you know, yeah. that awkward time in our lives. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your uh, next one? My number eight is The Favorite. Uh, I saw it just yesterday, and... Uh, Man, I was taken in right from the go. Um, the three women are just all incredible in there. Um, I know Olivia Clark is getting Coleman. Olivia Coleman, sorry, yeah. is getting a ton of Oscar buzz. But I thought Rachel Weisz really carried that movie. Like, oh, yeah. she's awesome, and um, just the uh, the camera work is. Uh, probably my favorite of the year because it added so much to the tension of the story and everything. Mm -hmm. I thought the humor really worked. Uh, well, uh, the one knock on it I have is it's, you could kind of see they wrote themselves into a corner and we're just like, man, here's an ending, but that's, you know, kind of what homie does out of, you can pronounce his name. Oh, Yorgos Lantimos. Yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't, he didn't write this one. This is the first movie he made that he didn't write the screenplay, yeah. but, um, yes. So that would be the knock is like, it's like very not, um, surreal very not surreal very like almost linear and then the end is like what what you know what kind of <laughs> happened here but i really liked the movie and uh as we were talking about before we got on the air uh the music was fantastic oh, yeah. one and of my the, favorites this year yeah so. so between performance music and um just the look of um the actual set design was gorgeous too so yeah that uh comes in at number eight for me the favorite right on yeah it's like around 12 or 13 for me like i loved it too it was really great yeah, I liked it. I think not as much maybe as you guys did, but I did. The performance is definitely excellent. And Olivia Coleman, who has like always been great, it's I'm happy to see her getting wider recognition because she's oh, yeah. really good and very versatile. I think all three of those women, I'd be happy if yeah. any of them got nominated or won for their work. Hey, let's not forget Nicholas Holt, too. I mean, yeah, he's, he's who always he's sucks, and so. he's really good at this movie. <laughs> um, right on. Well, my uh, number eight is another love it or hate it type of movie, and that is Mandy. Um, the Nicolas Cage uh, freak out movie. <laughs> um, it is definitely a, uh, a weird one. It's definitely a movie that if you're not into that kind of a thing of just, you know, watching kind of insanity <laughs> unfold on screen, it's probably not going to be for you. But uh, there's been a lot of movies over the years that promise Nicolas Cage at his most insane. And this is the only time I think it's actually delivered. And uh, as a Nicolas Cage fan, I'm glad to see it happen. I wasn't a fan of Mandy, uh, and that is all I will say. But there were, there was at least one other crazy Nicolas Cage movie this year, which I also didn't really care for. But in Mom, Mom and Dad, Dad and he kind of he goes I hated pretty Mom and Dad though. Yeah, I liked it more than Mandy probably, wow, but really? uh, I didn't really like either one. Yeah. Well, I didn't see it, but I think you guys have covered like literally every reaction that I've got people. Either <laughs> yeah, it it's true. It's uh, either end. Yeah. You know, but uh, hopefully Nicholas Cage is like charting out this new VOD career of like <laughs> what we would have considered in the nineties, like straight to video Seagal stuff or whatnot. And, right. You know, we could see more of his, kitschy work going forward yeah well i think both of those movies are a little above like he also made like six of those seagal style thrillers this year <laughs> yeah. that nobody cared about but those are him working with like slightly elevated you know artistic auteurs and i know he's supposed to do a movie with cyan sono who's uh like a japanese i believe director yeah, yeah. whose movies are just like you think Mandy is crazy. His yeah. movies are like even crazier. And so I don't know what the heck he's going to end up doing in one Can't of those wait. movies. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> um, so we're on seven. Yes. yes. Okay. So my number seven pick is another movie I think we all liked is First Reformed starring yes. Ethan Hawke uh, in one of the best performances this year yeah. as uh, a pastor who is having sort of an existential crisis yeah. after he uh, can, uh, encounters an environmental activist and his wife, played uh, by Amanda Seyfried, who I think also is really good in this movie. And, and Ethan Hawke is getting so much attention, but she is also really, really good. And the way they play off each other, it's intense and weird and kind of beautiful. Um, it has one of the oddest endings of any movie this year that definitely left me 
perplexed, but but I kept thinking about it. Like you're talking about with Vox Lux, I kind of came out thinking what, but then I just kept thinking about it, and and it really stayed with me, and I liked it a lot. Um, I agree with everything you said. Paul Schrader at his best, I'd say, as oh, a yeah. writer director on this one. Um, and then I thought the ending worked because um, there's so much in the story of how he became. Um, you know how he came became a man of the cloth that and all the struggles that led to it that it really worked for me and like yeah d- dude just give just give him the academy award right now <laughs> yes, like, yes he's so good yeah, yeah. So. um my number seven spider-man into the spider-verse man all right, <laughs> all right. um this is uh when i was making a list of like the stories of the year this has been the year that superhero movies became awesome again because like <laughs> so many of them uh just took bigger risks focused on the storytelling uh were less about just um traditional beats or or weren't afraid to kill people off and this is a comic book movie that looks like a living comic book the animation's awesome the t- it's it's really funny. It's really fun, and it opens up this world of tons of Spider Men that we may or may not see going forward. I know it's uh, Lord and Miller produced, and you know they kind of own the comedy action genre right now. And uh, dude, I loved it. I want to go see it again. Yeah, I liked it a lot as well. It yeah. was very fun. That would probably be my favorite superhero movie this year. Yeah, definitely towards the top. I mean, I think if I was more of a comic book guy, I'd have probably seen it like six times by now. It's it's so much fun. It just looks so cool, too. Even if you're not a comic book guy, you can get immersed in the look. Yeah, absolutely. And the feel. And uh, it just all, um, a lot of those action sequences are just really just a blast to watch and everything. All right. Well, uh, my number seven is one that's probably not going to be on a lot of end of year lists, but uh, I loved it, and that's that's it's for me. Uh, Alpha. Um, I don't know if either of you guys actually saw Alpha. Um, it was a big surprise for me. It was a movie that when it first the first trailer came out, I was like, "All right, this looks maybe good, but probably bad." Second trailer came out, and I was like, "Okay, this looks terrible." And then it like got delayed for like a year, and it was like kind of a joke. Is this ever going to come out? And then it came out, and it's just like one of the most beautiful, awesome movies I've seen in so long. It's uh, it's almost like a uh, more family-friendly apocalypto in a way. It's like set in an ancient. Is zone. that even possible? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's like it's like just this story of survival, and and uh, and this this kid and and a wolf. It's some, supposedly the story of uh, when humans and wolves first became friends. Love dogs, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, which very is, family-friendly. Yes, yeah, clear bullshit, but uh, at the same time just beautiful and exciting and fun and uh and really just an amazing imax film really when it comes down to it what i'm enjoying is like it josh's you know very critics driven list it feels like Uh uh-huh uh i think i'm like guy who sees a lot of movies lists Uh and yours is like uh crazy man who has his own (laughs) section in the video store list like dave's picks list or whatnot i'll I'll take it so i'll take it uh yeah i didn't i didn't see alpha but uh i probably won't yeah maybe i will maybe not an imax though i will the next time i take my wolf girlfriend (laughs) uh okay uh so my my number six pick is another movie i think that we all liked which is uh leave no trace deborah granick's uh father-daughter story starring Ben Foster as a PTSD-afflicted veteran and Thomasin McKenzie, who is just fantastic, uh, you know, talking about, like, Elsie Fisher and young performers this year. She's just as good um, in this movie as his daughter, who basically has to take care of him and uh, kind of become his parent as he forces them to live out in the woods and they're trying to avoid the cops and the authorities and she's trying to kind of cobble together this normal life and and allow him to be the way he needs to be. And it's just very intense performances. And Ben Foster, I don't always like. I think he's like too intense most of the time. Yeah, right. But but he he works really well in this movie. And it's just it's got a lot of gorgeous moments of them kind of just being in nature. And uh it's just a lovely story. I liked it a lot. Well Deborah Granick, you think back to Winter's Bone, right? You right. think of uh uh, star-making performance for a young actress in Jennifer Lawrence, which Absolutely. I think we agree with on yeah. this one, too. And then also um, her use of scenery to capture the story and um, the environment to propel a uh, story forward. Like, nobody does it better than her, and she did it in Winter's Bone, and she did it in Leave No Trace. Great movie. Beautiful yeah. movie. Um, number six for me, uh, A Star is Born. Which I wasn't, 
I had no real expectations going in. I thought it was going to be a little too weepy and sentimental, but sure. like, man, they just hit that thing out of the park. I thought Bradley Cooper did a great job of directing. I thought all the performances were right on. I hope Sam Elliott gets a nod for his work there. And uh, yeah, just all the way through, just a um, really, really fine film. And I think that opening sequence which is probably like a half hour long of the first night that the two of them meet is right. like man that's a rocket booster right off the bat it draws you in and it keeps you there so good yeah so um that's my pick right on yeah i i, I also liked it i thought it's probably the uh second best uh a star is born and uh yeah the performances i i couldn't quite get past bradley cooper's like christian bale batman voice <laughs> in this movie <laughs> it kind of tripped me up a little but uh but yeah overall the music uh the emotional way the story draws you in i i definitely liked it a lot and if you wanted to shoot just concert videos he'd have a future in that yeah, <laughs> yeah the performance sequences too. are really good yeah <laughs> yeah well uh number six is a star is born for me as well and I actually have written down, hit it out of the park. So, I mean, you basically <laughs> said what I, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, also as a musician, like I, I did find it kind of funny that he, uh, wrote the, uh, arrangement for shallow just after hearing it drunkenly, just the chorus in the parking lot, but it still works. You know what I mean? It's just so good that it still works anyway. Um, but, and you know, aside from it being a great movie, it also is probably my most listened to album this year. I actually really like the uh, soundtrack a lot. Yeah, I've listened to it also a number of times. And I like Lady Gaga a lot, so I was kind of inclined to enjoy it. But yeah. even the, the Bradley Cooper, like, country rock songs on there are oh, quite good. They're really good. Yeah. One of my favorite artists, Jason Isbell, wrote one of them. Yeah. 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 All right. So, that yeah, that's my number six. So we'll go back to you, Josh. All right. Well, my number five pick is another Natalie Portman movie. Uh, it's Annihilation, the uh, Alex Garland sci-fi freakout from way early in the year. Um, which I think I saw you know, in like February whenever it came out and it was like, oh, this is the number one movie of the year on uh, my list of one movies of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but it's, it stayed on my list, obviously. And uh, I think it's just, it's beautiful and really creepy and haunting um, and very well acted from Natalie Portman and uh, Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, a great cast of women in this movie. And it, 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 unsettles you and you never quite know what's going on but that's what's so scary about it so i liked it i read the book which is very different mm -hmm. and is unsettling and creepy in its own way but i think alex garland really puts his own stamp on it uh as a film i think that was the first movie i saw with movie pass <laughs> oh movie pass all right <laughs> which is its own its own podcast <laughs> And uh, probably will get some type of, uh, you know, remember when treatment at some point. <laughs> Mine was Nocturnal Animals. There, you there go. we go. Yeah, no, Annihilation was the first episode of Piecing It Together. Uh -huh. um, I was a little disappointed in it. But, you know, it's funny that as the year has gone by, I, I have no intention of revisiting it really. But it's kind of raised in my opinion over the year as I've continued to think about it a little bit. Uh, and I feel exactly the same as when I saw it. I thought it was good, but I loved Ex Machina so much that exactly. like it just didn't. Yeah, Ex Machina is definitely better. Know, I agree. Yeah, me, so. yeah. Uh, so number five for me. I don't know if you guys have heard of this movie. It's called The Avengers: Infinity War, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which is my favorite superhero movie of the year. And like you said, uh, Ant Man could have been on there. I think Deadpool could have been on there. Everyone sure. loves Black Panther. That could have been on there. But it, Avengers Infinity War, man, everything you want from a summer blockbuster. The uh, the crazy action sequences against Thanos are awesome. The super dark ending is fantastic. If they just cut the whole series right now, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be really happy. But I also like that Thanos is like um, a well-drawn villain, you know? Like right, he's got... Yeah. He's got emotions and he's got like doubts and, you know, fears and all these different things. And uh, just just, um, you know, if this like all the Avengers are fun and decent, but this one like just next level stuff right here. Absolutely. It also did an amazing job of uh, balancing so many characters, um, which is for that many people. <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty commendable. 
Yeah, I didn't like it as much as you guys did. I thought it was maybe it was like watching a whole season of a TV show in two hours. <laughs> right, it was right. maybe a little too much for me. But I agree with what you're saying about the villain. And I thought Marvel did a really good job of that this year, which they've done poorly in the past. And right, that right. not only Thanos, but Killmonger and Black Panther and Ghost and Ant-Man and the Wasp mm-hmm. are all villains that you can really understand and sympathize with that aren't just this kind of like generic like obstacle in the hero's way, but are real fully realized characters. I like that a lot. Absolutely. Um, all right, my number five is Searching, uh, which was definitely one of the biggest surprises of the year for me. Um, you know, I the whole idea of that kind of, uh, you know, I, I hate to call it gimmick because I loved it so much. Real but, screen. Yeah, but that, that like, I when I first saw the trailer, I was like, you know, this is absolutely a movie I don't even intend to see uh, because of that. But then, uh, you know, I saw some good reviews and I, you know, ended up taking the chance on it. And I mean... There's really not many movies that, you know, hit me as hard as this one. I mean, emotionally, it's also just an incredibly great mystery, some great performances. <laughs> um, and it uses that whole thing to just such uh, amazing effect in so many different ways. So that thing you're talking about, just in case people haven't seen it, is it's called a real screen movie, right? Screen screen life, I think is what screen they call life. it. Yeah. What's a real screen then? I don't know. But screen life is what the, the Timur Bekmembetov, the producer oh. who like produces those movies that's what he calls it well i got nothing then but basically it's john cho on a computer and different social media sites and um different forms of technology searching for his missing daughter and uh yeah it's a good movie and man john cho's making some good choices lately oh yeah Yeah, john cho is excellent in that movie i liked it a lot too and um especially his performance i i mean there's no way that'll happen but it would be amazing if he got like an oscar nomination oh that'd be beautiful yeah uh okay number four my number four pick is a movie that um, isn't opening here in Las Vegas until the end of January, but I saw it already. Uh, it's uh, Pavel Pavlikowski's Cold War, um, which I actually have seen like one and three quarters times already because it was just phenomenal. And I saw it in the theater and it looks amazing, like his movie Ida from a few years ago. If people have seen that, it's in this gorgeous, gorgeous black and white uh, in the Academy ratio. And just like every shot, you could, you know, pause it and print it out and frame it and put it on an art gallery wall. It just looks amazing. Um, But also the story, which is a romance between these two musicians uh, kind of back and forth across the Iron Curtain during the Cold War and mainly in the 1950s. Um, is incredibly beautiful and emotional and well-acted. Joanna Kulig, especially, who plays uh, Zula, the singer, uh, is just heartbreaking. And the way their relationship goes back and forth, um, it it constantly, it just draws you in at every single moment. Um, and uh, I, I loved it. It's like less than 90 minutes, and it gives you like an entire lifetime's worth of emotions. And it's based on Pawlikowski's parents. Yeah, I think very loosely. Because, well, if you see this movie and you get to the end, you're like, well, this couldn't possibly be based on his parents. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, inspired at least by them. Yes. I'm just glad to hear that it's opening here. That's uh, great news. January 25th. Nice. Awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I haven't seen it yet, obviously. Uh, my number four, Josh already brought it up. Eighth grade. Loved it. Uh just, just another great under, uh, you know, what ninety-five minute movie that really tells a good story and takes you on a full journey with a character from a beginning to an end point. Absolutely, agree. Uh, my number four is eighth grade. So <laughs> continue that uh, that theme there. Uh, yeah. Also, we hadn't mentioned it in either of us, but uh, Gabe, uh, Jake Ryan's character at the end of the movie, yeah. uh, so funny. What, what a character that kid is. Um, and uh, but yeah, everything that we've said about it so far. I mean, what a great movie. So so far, that's the first movie that's been on all three of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's true. a it's an excellent film. Josh yeah. Hamilton also as the dad. Oh, very he's good in this he's movie. Great. Um, and you can feel for it just as much as you can feel for Kayla. I think you can feel for the dad character oh, and what yeah. he's going through as well, well. Yeah. And there's a scene where, um, I'm a single dad, you know, and there's a scene where Kayla, um, very uncertain of herself and has been through a lot, starts to question her dad about her worth and like just the, uh, how he reinforces what she means to him. I'm like crying in a theater by myself <laughs> and like, hope I don't have to go through with that. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, all of our children have their value uh, known, but like, man, he, it was it was a very memorable scene, and oh, yeah. I'm a crybaby. All right, <laughs> but not in Star Is Born. I didn't cry once. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you for <laughs> assuring <laughs> we us of that. <laughs> 
Um, so my number three pick is uh, another Netflix film that, and I did not see this in the theater, I watched at home, uh, is The Kindergarten Teacher, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal in just an outstanding, outstanding performance. I think in, in, in a way similar to Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, where it's this character who's like on the edge the whole time and about to fall apart. And especially in this movie, you watch and everything she does, basically, you're like, oh my God, stop, don't, what are you doing? She's like, makes the worst possible choices. Um, but at the same time, it's such an uh, an empathetic performance that you always understand how and why this is happening, even as you want it to stop. Um, and she plays a kindergarten teacher who becomes kind of obsessed with one of her students who's this poetry prodigy and takes that, what what could be a nice nurturing of his talent into a way too far place. And the movie gets very uncomfortable, but is just is mesmerizing. It's 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 fascinating and it makes you feel sort of sad about the world. Mm -hmm. uh, even even though you understand why what she's doing is wrong, there's there's a, a, a part of the movie that that gets you in her head as to why she would do it. So anyway, it's on Netflix so people can watch it now and I hope they do. Um, I didn't see it, but I know Dave uh, has this ban on watching movies in Netflix that he wants to see on <laughs> But my, my counterpoint to that would be sure something like Buster Scruggs might get made because it's the Coen Brothers movie. But where is this movie going to get made if not sure. for Netflix? Because these lower budget, like risk taking adult movies, uh, dramas, even comedies, like are ending up on Netflix. So I'm happy that they're there. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Although there are plenty of movies like this getting made, but yeah, no, I really want to see it, and I will break my Netflix uh, boycott <laughs> to watch it soon because I've been wanting to watch it. <laughs> Do you just boycott Netflix or no? No, it's all VOD everything. Okay, yeah, I just like watching movies in the theater better. Yeah, I mean, I like watching movies in the theater, and this movie, just for example, like did play at Sundance, and I mm -hmm. think maybe some other festivals, and unfortunately. Movies like this, sometimes the only way to see them now in sure. a theater is to go to a film festival. You know what? Yeah. Like, you, you know, yesterday, so I have the AMC pass, right? And mm -hmm. I was going to go see The Favorite at 140. And I checked the day before and it was on there. And then they canceled that screening yesterday. So we ended up at the Colonnade at uh, the same time. And that theater is garbage. And I would much rather sit at my home, watch a movie on my nice big screen TV, pause it when I have to take pee breaks and like see a movie comfortably than sit in a cramped row that uh, the theater owners haven't fixed in 15 years, seeing reflections of chairs on the screen. The Colonnade is kind of a shitty theater, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, you want to see a movie in a good theater, certainly. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I would have seen this movie uh, or any movie that I saw at home. I think I would have seen it in theater if I had a chance to. Sure. So number three for me, talked about already, first reformed. Uh, watched it one night at my house and uh, <laughs> I was just like home alone um, you know I whatever had nothing to do and I popped it on and I'm like man just drawn in from from moment one and uh, just watch watch first reformed so, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just rewatched it uh, at home the other day and uh, yeah it, it held up as much as when I first saw it earlier this I, year I, it's so good I also think the fact that like so much of it takes place in the winter for some reason like it adds a lot to the mood of the whole thing it's just just sure. really nice film Right on. Uh, my number three is an action movie. It's, uh, I think, the action movie this year, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which I think is... Uh, the fourth one is still my favorite, um, but this is easily the second best one, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's also the best version of the music of the score. Um, the, the score is just absolutely through the roof, as far as I'm concerned with this movie. And uh, some of the best uh, action scenes and, and set pieces that I've seen in, in this franchise or in any action movie in recent history. Um, the uh, All the, the crazy stuff that Tom Cruise does in this movie is just... It's just insane. <laughs> it's uh, it's just an awesome movie. Did, did you guys enjoy it? Uh, I know, I know, Jason loved it. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I liked it. I think, and I like the Mission Impossible Mission Impossible movies a lot. I think I agree with you that the fourth one, Brad Bird's film, is the yeah. best one. Um, and as much as I like them, and as much as this one does all the stuff that the Mission Impossible movies do well. Mm -hmm. I think I may be at the point now where I'm like, okay, they've kind of done everything that they're going to do. They're not going to top it. 
And I liked that each one had a different director and had a slightly different tone and bringing yeah. Chris McQuarrie back. Not that he didn't do a good job, but I just, I, I, it felt more like an extension of the fifth movie right. than like a sort of reinvention, which the previous ones had been. So I liked it. And maybe it is the action movie of the year. I'm not sure what would uh, top it, but um, I wasn't as crazy about it as, as, as I think you guys were. I, yeah. do, I do think it would make a great uh, end for the, ser- the series. Um, it would be great if they went out on top with this one. Well, they won't. Yeah, I, I know, I know. <laughs> and Macquarie and Tom Cruise are like, you know, yeah, they're best buds. They're now. bromance. Yeah. So they're he's he's tied to him for, and he became tied to him on one of those Mission Impossible movies where he was basically like the producer liaison between Cruise and the studio or the director. So he's in he's in it to win it, man. So good film, good film. Right. Um, oh, it's my turn, huh? Number yes. two. Number two for me is Disobedience. Uh, mm. And speaking of Rachel Weisz in The Favorite, and which she's great in, and she is also great in this movie that hasn't gotten her as much attention, but she's uh, done some excellent work this year uh, with, uh, with her and Rachel McAdams as uh, lesbian lovers in the Orthodox Jewish community in London, um, kind of uh, unexpectedly being reunited uh, after one of them has moved away out of the community uh, to New York and kind of uh, given up on the whole uh, religion and uh, her father dies and she comes back, discovers that her former best friend slash lover is now uh, married to her, uh, I believe it's her cousin. And so it's this forbidden romance, which is very, very well uh, drawn and it's not salacious, even though there is an excellent uh, love scene in this film that um, a lot of people uh, noted. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but I mean, it's far more than that, and it's a slow build when you gradually understand their relationship and the history between the two of them. Um, and it really like gives you a full sense of this community. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a great like LGBT movie, but it's also a great Jewish movie. Sure. Um, and I think one of the things that I like most about this movie is that the character of the man who's kind of standing in their way, uh, who's now gotten married to Rachel McAdams' character, played by Alessandro Nivola, is not anything what you expect that character to to be, where he would just be this kind of, like, obstacle, and he's the symbol of the patriarchy. And he's really torn between wanting to uphold these values in his community and really caring about his wife and wanting her to be happy, even if that means he has to let her go. So just very well acted, very emotional. I think that's kind of, you know, going along, like, with Cold War, these, these sweeping romance movies I've enjoyed a lot this year. It's a great movie. I uh, I remember earlier in the year, it seemed like it was going to have a lot more of a conversation to come the end of the year with awards, but it doesn't seem to be. It's funny. It seems like uh, Rachel McAdams getting more attention for Game Night than anything. Yeah, which, which I really dislike, but I, I people was, love that. It was pretty good, Game Night, but I mean, definitely, I mean, her performance in this is so good. I don't yeah. know why it's being overlooked. Yeah, she is good in Game Night. I think the two of them should be a couple in Game Night, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're on to something bigger. That like is, it. yeah, pitch like that it. one, definitely. <laughs> Uh, my number two film is Isle of Dogs. Uh, Wes Anderson, stunningly animated in his weird uh, avant art style. I don't even know what, how he does it, but it is awesome looking. Um, and it's just the story of these dogs who get thrown on like a trash trash island, right? And, uh, <laughs> on a trash island. Yeah, and uh, they work hard to survive and. Their master, uh, one of their masters comes uh, and tries to track them down. And, man, it's just so much fun all the way through. I I was not a huge Fantastic Mr. Fox fan, but uh, this, um, I think he's been on such a roll, Wes Anderson, since Grand Budapest. Um, You know, between that, Moonrise, and this, like, what a pleasure this was to watch. And uh, I'll probably watch it again soon. Absolutely. I love that movie. I uh, don't like any Wes Anderson movies. (laughs) That's all I'll say about it. (laughs) Josh doesn't like joy. (laughs) So, so true. Right on. Uh, Okay, well, my number two is one we've talked about already, but it's First Reformed, um, which, uh, I mean... I don't really know what else I could say about Second it. Second one on all three of our lists. Yeah, yep, there you go. Um, also, great cinematography in the crop frame. We didn't really talk about that. But uh, yeah, no, overall, it's just such a good movie. Um, uh, such an amazing performance and performances and just awesome all around. Great, great year for Academy Ratio. Also. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Homecoming on Amazon, if you watch that. I was really curious. 
confused by that when I started watching it because I didn't know that. And yeah. I'm like, what, what is happening? In right, there, you know? so. right. Yeah, well, it's definitely not... It's, not a common thing. People are so used to that. You're trying to adjust the yeah. settings or Why something. Why did they do, do? Did he have a reason for doing that? I mean, I'm sure he did. I don't know what he said specifically, yeah. but yeah. it gives you that kind of claustrophobic feel, right. I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know like Sam Esmail on Homecoming uses it for that pretty well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in, and I think in Cold War, it's more like the classical feel of it. You know, movies were made in that aspect ratio all the way up through the 50s. Sure. And so it gives you that sense of, oh, this is like, timeless or is 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 yeah. old in some way vice was playing with that a lot too i thought uh vice when oh, they were doing like the flashbacks right stuff. right yeah 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 that's not a good movie <laughs> <laughs> oh is it my turn yeah number For one number one. Oh, yeah let's pound on the table drum roll so is another movie that we talked about on the piecing it together podcast mm. it's thoroughbreds Corey finley's uh debut um, which I watched again and I was worried cause I saw this in like March sure. and loved it. And then it's just stayed at the top of my list the whole year. And then I got to the end of the year and I thought, what if it's not as good? And it just kind of like stuck there, but I did watch it again. And I think I liked it even more the second time. The writing in this movie is just so, so witty and so sharp and biting and not only the dialogue, but the way that it's plotted all the way up to the point where like the final line in this movie just really like snaps everything into place. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook are both great as these two teenage girls who plot a murder and are kind of manipulating each other in ways that they both do, do and don't understand throughout the film. Um, the cinematography, just the way that he sets up all the shots, there's a lot of these long roving takes through the, the big cavernous house that Anya Taylor-Joy's character lives in. But also like he gives you like an emotional reveal via a rack focus, you know, just like, <laughs> it's not just as the writing is so good, but the direction and that's rare for someone in their first film. So uh, yeah, I think this movie is great. And another movie that maybe didn't get much attention, but hopefully people will see uh, at home. Yeah, it was my number one uh, back earlier in the year when we first saw it. And yeah, it's such a great movie. It, it now is sitting comfortably at 11 for me. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's excellent for all the reasons you were just saying. And um, uh, it, it's it's a movie that I'm looking forward to going back to hopefully soon. And I'm sure it's going to hold up like you said it did for you. Yeah. Jason fell asleep while we were. But that's not that's again that's not fair. I like the movie. You were just tired. I was I was again. There are times as a single dad, you're exhausted. I am excited to watch it again. I did like it, and you know it's what gets compared to Heather's a lot, and who doesn't love Heather's? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I love Heather's. So I want to watch it again. My number one is a film called Mission Impossible Fallout. It's also the dog's number one. (laughs) Um, I was just mesmerized the whole time. Every action sequence was like the best version of that action sequence I've ever seen. Tom Cruise, like 106 takes going off the jumping off the plane where you had two minutes a day to do it. You know, like insanity, you know, breaking his ankle on the jumps and continuing. That man loves to run. Um, (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) So look, yeah, like I don't. The stories work fine. Uh, he's obviously Tom Cruise, big, big action star. It's just the best popcorn movie ever. And if you argued that that's the best action movie you've ever seen, I'd be like, that's a great argument. That is an awesome movie. I loved it all the way through. Number one for me. Beautiful. Did not fall asleep during. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you don't care about the theater as much as I do, but did you see it in yeah, IMAX of course, or anything? Of course. Yeah, I saw it at the Galaxy. So, yeah. That that is the type of movie you would want to see in a yeah, theater, you know. Absolutely. So, um, and just yeah, just I was like awestruck. My my jaw. That is a <laughs> yeah. real jaw dropper. The way they do those action sequences. And uh, and uh, the guy who's Tom Cruise's like frenemy in that movie, Henry Cavill. Cavill, yeah. Really, kind of a strange macho character he puts out there. And yeah, kind of fun. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. Well, yeah, I obviously agree with you. Um, And my number one is Isle of Dogs, which uh, I'm glad you brought it up, too, because I was like, am I going to be the only person to bring up Isle of Dogs? Um, Yeah, but uh, I I love this movie. I almost, like, I've joked around about this before that it doesn't count because of these guys. Like, it's like this movie is, like, made for me dogs and stop-motion animation and that kind of Wes Anderson-style humor. I mean, it's like they practically made this movie for me. Um, So it's like, and the fact that uh, that it delivered in a way 
way that I would have hoped. And I just uh, rewatched it last night and um, just to make sure I really wanted it to be my number one. And sure enough, I was dying through the whole thing. I just, I love it. And it's funny how um, one thing I didn't notice the first time around, but the second time I totally did is how uh how non-threatening everything is it's like just so sweet it's like such a sweet movie every time that there's something particularly that could be dark it's totally upended and ends up being like just a another joke another gag or something well one thing i wanted to say is because josh was mentioning about cold war how every frame could be like a piece of art oh yeah you could you could say that with isle of dogs too that was just like anytime you want to just hit pause and look and you're like everything is perfectly crafted in that film so yeah, I, I mean, well, well, I won't get into why I <laughs> don't like any Wes Anderson movies, but I, I will say that that's actually part of the reason. <laughs> if, he, if only he was Polish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also don't like dogs, so oh. it's not a movie Doesn't for me. Doesn't mean you can't like a movie. No, that is guys. true. That is true. But uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not extra inclined. It's like when there's a movie, I just watched a movie last night, and I was reading all these reviews about how it has, like, the cutest baby uh, mm. in cinema, and I just spent the whole time wanting the baby to shut up and go away. What movie was it? It's a Lebanese movie called Capernaum, which is on the Oscar shortlist for foreign film. Totally irrelevant to this discussion, <laughs> and not a very good movie, I don't think, but it has a cute baby in it, apparently. All right. So. Well, I think we have enough time. You guys want to do uh, just three extra moments within uh, the movies this year? We will uh, go sure. through and do this. Um, let's uh, jump back to you, Josh for a favorite movie moment. Uh, All right. Well, so I'm going to start with a moment from a movie that I actually didn't like uh, overall. But at the point that this moment happened, I loved it. So it was kind of an evolution of my thought process on this movie. Uh, But the movie is Tully. And the moment is towards the beginning is the montage of Charlize Theron's character kind of trying to care for her newborn. And I'm not a parent, but uh, Jason maybe could identify with this more. But even as someone who doesn't have a child, like watching that sequence made me feel the like utter exhaustion and repetition of what she had to go through and just the way that it's it's framed by Jason Reitman the director um to kind of give you that you know the shots that are similar repetitive over and over again with this just the slight variations to just have you understand the passage of time and so just within a few moments a few I don't know how long it is but you know just probably a couple minutes at most you just understand this character absolutely perfectly and what she needs and how exhausted she is and that that catapults the rest of the plot sure. which again I didn't care for uh where it ended up but at that moment I was like wow this is really amazing if we had a podcast for most disappointing movies of the year, that would probably be. <laughs> and, and I would agree with you. Yeah, it was ultimately very disappointing. I liked it overall, but I mean, I didn't love it, though. But... No, you didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. I mean, well, so we were talking about, I, we were just talking about Mission Impossible, and I think just that sequence of him jumping from the plane, and if you watch the two-and-a-half-minute uh, piece on the New York Times website on how... how just insane it is that they shot this thing like it's uh, a technical achievement it's an acting achievement it's a uh, technological achievement it's just a cinematic achievement so that to me is uh that's one of my moments there yeah i was watching the behind the scenes thing uh he was saying about how like you wouldn't think that the audience would be able to tell that it's real and you know but you can and they're right i mean you really kind of can that like there's something about it where it's just like, it's just crazy while you're watching it. I just Yeah, I was at CinemaCon when uh, Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie came out. And I hadn't seen the movie because the movie hadn't come out. But they did a whole like half hour presentation just about that sequence and all of the stuff that went into it. And it's like, honestly, after, after watching that and their discussion of everything that could have gone wrong, I thought... Tom Cruise is just going to die. He's just going to like Mission Impossible 7 is going to be like the death of Tom Cruise. But, you know, the other thing about that is like a lot of these action sequences, if you saw like a a half hour presentation, you'd be like, all right, we get it. It's an action sequence. Right. This one, I feel like you'd be riveted all the way through. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't Again, I'm not I'm not there with you guys on that on that as a whole. But uh, it was pretty outstanding to to see what went into making that. All right. Uh, so my first uh, moment that I'm going to mention uh, is actually from Aquaman, 
And it is the, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it yet, but it's it's the moment where it's the Black Manta battle where uh, Black Manta is fighting Aquaman across all these buildings and just crashing through walls and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, Mira is being chased by other ones with, uh, with laser guns and stuff. And it's totally ridiculous. It's so over the top. But it's like, to me, it's like the ultimate like comic book movie moment. Like, it's so insane, which is basically why I liked Aquaman, because it's completely unhinged and insane the whole time. Um, but this is, I think, the craziest moment of an otherwise insane movie. Yeah, it is uh, pretty. I mean, you could pick like uh, almost any moment from that movie, <laughs> yeah. and it would just be the craziest. <laughs> it's so true. like I, my favorite moment in Aquaman is when the octopus plays the drums. <laughs> that was the best that part. That moment does rule, um, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I mean that that's I thought Aquaman was too much, right. and I wasn't crazy about it. But I mean, it is totally nuts and. You have to mention that in that scene, I believe it's in that sequence, uh, Mira creates knives out of wine yes, that yes. she like sucks out of some <laughs> barrels and then shoots at the bad guys. It's so incredible. it's pretty nuts. <laughs> that, so, to, so bad it's good can really go wrong. This is just the perfect version of so bad yeah, it's good to me. <laughs> it was something. Um, so my next moment is from a movie that I mentioned, so I won't have to, um, you know, I won't belabor it. But there's a moment in the middle of Cold War uh, where uh, Joanna Kulig's character uh, just kind of dances and cuts loose to rock around the clock. And it's a moment in time when uh, rock and roll is just coming up and they've been kind of jazz musicians and folk musicians, the characters at up till that point in the movie. And it, so it, it, it signals this kind of historical transition, but it's also a way to understand her character and how frustrated she is at the moment with her lover. And it's shot mostly in one take as she's in this uh, kind of smoky nightclub. And you just see her gradually like build this energy and let everything out and all the tension that she's had. And it's a, it's a great set piece. Like, I don't know if it's exactly in the middle, maybe a little further towards the end, but it's an important turning point in the movie that's done great with the music. No, I haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Yeah, no, I know that. <laughs> but I will say, you should like, see it. <laughs> well, there's, you know, and this wasn't one of my moments, but, and I'm very much on the record as not liking Roma, but, you know, and I know Roma and Cold War get compared because... Because they're both in black and white. And they're the directors are friends, and it's about their childhoods kind of stuff. But there's that sequence in Roma where they go shopping, and then the, you know, kind of riots hit and everything like that. And it's taking a very mundane, um, normal moment and then becomes like a larger-than-life thing and has lasting consequences on the characters and uh, just the sweeping cinematography. Until I saw The Favorite, I thought Roma should have won Best Cinematography this year. But... um, so I'll give Roma that, but that wasn't my moment. So I just wanted to. I mean, yeah, I, I, I also, I think I liked Roma a little more than you did, but I wasn't crazy about it. And, but yeah, the cinematography and the sound design in Roma. And because we yeah. were able to see it with the Dolby, the Atmos or whatever, you really get that like immersive sound design. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, statistically speaking, uh, one of us should have had it on our top 10 list, but I'm really surprised none of us did. So. <laughs> um, my number two moment, and I had so many different moments I could pick from, um, is from a documentary. And the reason I did that is because what a great year for documentaries, you know? There's so many good documentaries, and the one I'm picking is the basically the ascent up uh, uh, the mountain in Free Solo, you know, because um, not only had that never been done as a free climber before, but the actual, and it's in the movie, they talk about how they have to set the cameras to um, not just capture the moment, but not get in the climber's way. Like, unbelievable again like really really smart fantastic filmmaking and uh you know keeps you kind of on the edge of your seat as the kids say um tons of great documentaries this year that is one of them and that um that's just a good just an awesome movie moment so yeah and talking about mission impossible and like technological achievements just the fact that they could capture it and they allow you to see the whole thing is is kind of amazing right on um so my next movie moment is from the movie Upgrade when uh, he first gets his, uh, <laughs> his uh, ability to uh, to uh, fight with his whatever the hell it is. <laughs> it's just pure ridiculous cinema. I, it's so much fun, and I, I could tell from Josh's uh, reaction 
You probably didn't like this movie too much. I thought this movie was so stupid. <laughs> yeah. And I like people loved this movie and it was just the most idiotic piece of but I can see I that. you know, you I, like I, I it. Can, so. I can see where you're coming from, but uh yeah, I, I had a blast with this freaking movie. <laughs> I mean wait, did you see it, Jason? No, but I would watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought it was uh, such a fun movie. And that that first scene, that first like main action scene was just so ridiculous and so much fun. It, uh, it and is... outdid uh, Venom, you know, <laughs> as far as being the same story. It was a much better version of Venom. Yeah, and the actors look the same, too. Yeah, they totally they do. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't like either one, but I guess I would probably might prefer it to Venom. All right, that's uh, good. I'll give you that, All at right. least. Um, <laughs> so my last movie moment is from Suspiria. And it is, I wrote, when I wrote it down, I wrote Murder by Dance. And it's the scene where uh, Dakota Johnson's character is being directed by Tilda Swinton's character to go through this very intense choreography. Meanwhile, in another room, via sorcery, every movement, movement that Dakota Johnson makes is like breaking the bones of this other character who's being punished for kind of finding out too much. And as you watch this like the beautiful, intense, and very well choreographed dance, and then it it's cross cut with this like the great great sound design with the oh, bone yeah. crunching in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, to see this character just like, and every time you think you're like, okay, well she's got to be dead by now. No, there's another contortion yeah. that they can put her body through to further mangle her, and it's. Is it's probably the scariest moment in that movie, and even though there's like the climax, which is like just got oceans of blood, I felt like that moment was more intense. It was also really long. It just kept going. Right. It just kept breaking. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. With that said, I'm surprised, and I don't know how much I can say about it if you haven't seen it that you didn't mention the sequence where Natalie Portman uh, in Annihilation kind of meets next level natalie Portman. right that's a very memorable sequence that's right. pretty wild yeah it is too i mean that's that's more sort of like haunting and beautiful and this was very like gross right, uh, right. but like in a, in a i don't i don't like just super gross out horror where you know just like again like oceans of blood but um yeah i mean that sequence in annihilation is very good as well yeah uh, my third one is a fun one. It's baby Jack Jack learning about all his superpowers in The Incredibles 2. <laughs> it's just so much fun. And he's fighting raccoons and he can laser eye people and turn into giant Jack Jack and shoot fire and do all these crazy fun things. And, uh, you know, um, I love taking my daughter to the movies. So that's just a fun one for me and Scarlett this year where we laughed a lot together. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, my last uh, movie moment is Tony Collette and Hereditary saying, all I do is worry and slave and defend you, and all I get back is that fucking face on your face, which I just think is so great. Um, the movie uh, missed my top ten, but uh, that performance is, I would say, my favorite performance of the year uh, among all movies, pretty much. I can't believe you picked that movie and you didn't pick the moment in that movie. When... But don't ruin it because I haven't seen it in some of your listeners. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but we'll talk about it after. The one moment in that <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, that one other moment. That yeah. one other insane moment. Which we're, which we're going to watch because you didn't ruin it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, right on. That brings us to the end of this. Uh, guys, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we'll start with you, Josh. Uh, you got anything you want to plug or recommend or both? Oh, well, we just recommended a bunch of stuff, yeah, so true. I didn't realize yeah. I needed another recommendation. Nah, I guess you don't need There's a uh, lot of movies for people to catch up yeah, with. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I'll plug my various things. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SignalBleed. Uh, follow me on Facebook at Josh Bell Hates Everything. Go to joshbellhateseverything.com and you can read my top 10 list in case you wanted to do it that way instead and some other honorable mentions and picks for best performances of the year uh, as well as my list of my top 10 movies from other years that I saw for the first time this year. So that's a lot. Awesome. And Jason? Uh, on Facebook and Twitter, Jason, or J. Harris Comedy. On Instagram, Jason. No. Yeah, Jason <laughs> Harris Comedy. <laughs> Look up Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on any of those. I think Jason Harris Comedy on Instagram, Jay Harris Comedy on the other two. Uh, but I will plug something that Josh and I worked on together that's coming out. Uh, last year or 2017, I had a, uh, a web series called The Defeated that we released on Facebook that did uh, well. Josh and I just co-wrote a web series. And Dave, you, uh, you get a plug too, uh, called Copper Creek. And it's eight 
episodes all set in an apartment complex, uh, different little stories. Each one is self-contained. Um, and, um, they all take place in Copper Creek. Josh co-wrote most of them. Dave did the music for most of them. I wrote, uh, co-wrote, directed, produced all of them. So, uh, I'm excited. That's coming out in January and, uh, facebook.com backslash Copper Creek show. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks guys. And, uh, we've got a whole bunch of new movies coming soon. Get you guys on the show again soon, hopefully. Today, documentary films are experiencing a major renaissance, and for good reason. But why are audiences increasingly choosing fact over fiction? Is it a dearth of realism, like endless comic book sequels and end-of-the-world action movies? Are viewers choosing authentic storytelling over spectacular visuals and far-fetched plots? Or maybe it's because docs f***ing rule. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And we host SupDoc. We didn't go to film school. We're just two comedians that dork out on docs. And since 2015, we've been recapping amazing documentaries with comedians, actors, and filmmakers like legendary comedians Dana Gould and Todd Glass. Musicians like Yacht and Dan Deacon. And even media stars like Jesse Thorne and Francesca Fiorentini. The AV Club called us enlightening, and Boing Boing said, SupDoc is a great idea for a podcast. So find us wherever you get your podcasts or join us at SupDocPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Subdoc Podcast. All right, so that does it for this episode of Piecing It Together and also does it for this year, 2018. Uh, this is a year that started off a little bit slow, but man, there ended up being a lot of great movies this year. It was another good year of movies, and I'm looking forward to 2019. I want to thank all of you out there who have been listening to the show. I want to thank everyone who has been on this show, all of the guest co-hosts that we've had, including Josh and Jason, um, but everybody else as well. Thank you all so much for making the show happen. Uh, we're really enjoying doing it, and I'm looking forward to doing more episodes coming up here soon. And, uh, yeah, new year, lots of new movies. And, you know, one other thing, I just found out this morning that uh, my music video, uh, the virtual reality one, Palindrome 360, it actually was written up in uh, Forbes their website the uh best vr music videos of 2018 which is such an awesome honor and uh to celebrate that i guess for a piece of music to close this episode out on i'm gonna play you guys palindrome from my most recent album a different kind of dream i'm gonna have more music coming out in 2018 along with more episodes of piecing it together thanks as always for listening and if you are not yet you can subscribe on your podcast app of choice you can also follow us on social media at piecing pod and you can join our facebook group which i would really love it if you did uh piecing it together a movie discussion group we have all kinds of fun conversations about movies in there we continue the conversation that we start here on the show so definitely join the group and i'm looking forward to talking to you guys all in the new year
and all points west.